Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. For episode four, here's the extended cut of Josh and Jenny's story. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys both for being here and being a part of this Your Story Matters series. Um, I've known you guys for a long time. And so I'm really excited for you guys to share some of the things that I've been able to witness and see. Um, And so I appreciate you guys, I appreciate your vulnerability. So we're gonna start with a really easy question, kind of. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Pretty chill childhood. I mean, grew up in white middle-class suburbia. I have two older brothers, um, a younger sister, and um, then we adopted another sister um, a little bit later on, but we went to church every Sunday. My parents were uh, doing campus ministry with Campus Crusade for Christ, so they were over uh, doing missions work in Ireland um, over there, uh, so I was born over there in Dublin. So I lived there until I was five, uh, moved to Southern California, then when Crusade's headquarters moved to Florida, we were in Orlando, I went to school in Gainesville, Florida, and then finally moved up to Virginia and then met Jenny and uh, made it up here to Maryland. <laughs> so ultimately you're kind of a preacher's kid, kind of a, a missionary kid, yep. church culture, you know, d- depending on where you lived. Uh, Jenny, what about you? What was your church, or what was your childhood like, yeah. family, but also like, hey, what was church like and faith like growing up? Um, so I actually grew up in Maryland, right outside DC. I grew up with parents who did have faith, but we never went to church as a family, never did anything. Um, remotely religious in any way, shape, or form together, but I did come to having faith because I went to a private school and I was the little sister who did everything my sister did. And so as she grew in her faith, I grew in mine and kind of just followed along. One of the questions I'm asking everybody, specifically who had some church experience along the way, is you go from attending, maybe it's because you're like, my parents are making me, or it's just part of your culture, you know? And I think a lot of people, it's just like, this is a part of my life, so we go. Or it's at a distance, I'm figuring this out. At some point though, it transitions from that to, oh man, like, I need this. At first I was going to church because I craved that community. But then as I graduated college, I did teach at a private school for 10 years. And so I was always having this similar community all the time at work even. And then when I left that job and we started having kids and everything, I think that's when I really realized when I'm not in that community on a daily basis anymore and I don't have it in my life consistently, I have to seek it out. And so that's where Sunday mornings for me has become such a time of kind of reset of being around people who we may not have it all figured out, but we're trying to do it together with the same baseline, you know, or same starting point, you know. And so I think that's where it's really been over the last, probably since we were first married in Sykesville and we started going to church together there, 
that's when I realized I really wanted that community at, at the minimum on Sundays. Yeah. It was pretty similar for me um, as a kid, especially one who grows up in the church. Like I think I was like five years old when I told my mom and dad that I wanted to <laughs> ask Jesus into my heart. But I would say that that was kind of like my parents' faith, I guess. Sure. Uh, you know, that I kind of uh, made a decision to follow. I'd say later on, probably around like high school, um, college was where I really started to make that my own. Um, it was more an ownership thing where it's like, this is something I choose, uh, not really that was kind of chosen for me. And, and at that point, you obviously have a little bit more understanding of like what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, started started kind of seeing what it was about, being able to start actually figuring out a lot of the things that I, I didn't know. And, and uh, kind of like you said, like, I, th I think one of the tough things about growing up in the church is that it's you lack a lot of the perspective of what it was like not yep. being a part of the church. So you actually yeah, kind of have absolutely. to figure that out while in it. And so, so for me, there was definitely a time where it's like, I don't think I really ever like walked away from the church per se, but like there was definitely a time where it's like I had to sort of evaluate the things that I learned to be true mm -hmm. as a part of my childhood and be able to start to pick through the things that I actually really didn't agree with um, or that weren't even biblical and figure out what parts were good, yep. and, you know, and and kind of coming to a new understanding of those things. And so a lot of people sort of make a hard turn of like just throwing yeah. it all out. And, and, you know, thankfully I never really fully threw everything out, but there was a lot of stuff that was just, I don't know, packaged with a ton of shame and um, stuff that was just not good, not biblical. Um, and it was from well-meaning people. I mean, yeah. great people, right? Um, but they just, they were all probably living in their own shame. And yeah. that was just, they did the best they could. And I had to like really figure out what stuff like really needed to go and really kind of understand Jesus in a, in, yeah. in a new way. So yeah, I went through a period where it's like I had to really deconstruct a lot of my faith and throw a ton of stuff out and, and really figure out what need to, needed to stay. So. Yeah, I think it's almost, because I have the same, a similar experience to you where it's like, there's no church past, there's no church history. And all of a sudden it like becomes a part of your life. Then you're like, oh no, I'm choosing this. Like this is really, I didn't have it and now it's there. Um, versus people who grew up in a church where it's been there and you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. And like having the right space to say, wait a second, I like being here, but I've got to figure this thing out for yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a little bit hard. I think we have like the easy route because you're like, yeah, I wasn't, then I was, yeah. versus like I always was, and then I was more. Absolutely. So very different lives, mm -hmm. somehow end up in the same area. How did you guys meet? How did you end up together? How old were you when all this started yeah. happening? Um, you know, how did, you know, separate people become Josh and Jenny? So I was at a wedding and I met a, a girl um, that I was mutual friends with um, all of, well, all of the guys that I had dated were also at the wedding. And, ah, <laughs> and I was telling her, I was like, well, I've gone through all of these ones. None of them worked out. So I, there's no more guys left. And she was like, oh, you need to come to Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> My husband mentors a ton of guys from Liberty University, and we've got lots of great guys down here. 
And so that was all a ruse to get us to be a, or get me to be a part of Amway. So <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Amway, you know, marriage. Like it's, uh... So I did. I went. I was like, well, if all the guys are in Lynchburg. I'll go down there and see them. Yeah. And that's where he was. And I did become a part of Amway for a while. And he was also a part of Amway. It, it's like Pampered Chef. On it was yeah, yeah, the original yeah. Pampered Chef. Yeah, sure. yeah. Like, yeah. Know. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So so yeah. But we. I went down there, I got to know lots of people, including Josh. When we actually started dating, we were not allowed to date. Because of the structure of Amway at the time, we were on the same team, but not on the same team. So we should not date because we're not on the same team. And you know, it was it was a very strange thing. But no, I did not move to Lynchburg right away. I <laughs> just went and visited a lot. Gotcha. And did a lot of these team events, and I did not move until we got married. Yeah. But we met through mutual friends. Yeah. To sum it up, we met through mutual friends that all went to Liberty University. There you go. Okay. Were you at Liberty at the time, or? Okay. I was, yeah, and I don't know if I was actively going to classes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was just in the town still. Yeah. Um, and he actually was trying to date me, and I he was a host at... Red Lobster. Red Lobster. And yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, but I, at this point I was a teacher. I'd been teaching for a couple of years and I was ready to yeah. settle down. Yeah. We were 24 at the time. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not dating a host from Red Lobster. If you want to date me, you can go get a real well, job. Well, and it wasn't even just a host. It was a, I had been demoted, demoted, yes. demoted from server. The thing that ended up winning me over is that right after having that conversation with him, within a week, he had a real job. And yeah. I was like, oh, he actually wants to date me. Yeah. That's a real thing. So you guys were dating down there? Did you also get married down there? We actually only dated for about eight months, got engaged, were married four months later. So wow. our entire relationship, we were friends for about a year prior to all of that. And then we got married within a year of actually dating. Yep. And that's when I moved to Lynchburg and we were in Lynchburg for a year. Okay. Yep. Um, realized that if we stayed in Lynchburg, we would never leave Lynchburg because it's kind of a dead end town. So we moved back to Maryland, which is where I'm from. So what was like in your in the beginning of your marriage and even as you start going through kind of your first hard thing as a married couple, what was faith like? Were you active in faith, active in church? Was it just kind of this underlying thing in your life? Like what, what did that look like? I mean, it's always been there that it was just kind of on autopilot in the background for me anyways, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we first got married, we were going to church because in Lynchburg, that's the only thing there is to do yeah. on a Sunday. But we still hadn't gone through that deconstruction of our faith and figuring out what do we really believe in and everything. So I think when my dad died, that was probably the big catalyst for me of who is God? You know, yeah. can I trust him? Can I trust him with the people that I love? Can I trust him with the way that I had thought my life would go? all of these things. Um, and so we, we did join a church early in our marriage and in Maryland. And even that though, it was a great community of people, but everybody in that community was asking questions. And so that is part of what had us deconstruct and really ask those questions and wrestle, but it ended up being a really, I don't know, just a, a huge question mark, I feel like for us, for that first five six years of our marriage. Yeah, there weren't just, a lot of answers. It was more, mm. it was like all questions. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like, so yeah. very disorienting. Sure. Like, yeah. Both of us growing up in that, like, especially Baptist culture, a lot of stuff is handed yeah. to you. Yeah. And so this was the first time as adults, we were being asked questions and how yeah, to, yeah. and saying like, what do you really yeah. believe and why do you believe it? Yeah. And is God good? Yeah. 
you know, and then when bad things happen and yeah. that question gets yeah. really big. Being talking to very, very different people, super uncomfortable. And but I like the fact that we stayed in that yeah. um, level of discomfort because, you know, it, it built a lot of maturity and a lot of like perspective to see other people who are very different from me. It really rounded out my faith. You know, it, it took it from a very simplistic, like cookie cutter um, thing that I didn't really, really couldn't even fully accept to, oh, this is real life and this is still relevant. Um, yeah, but and, I think too, it was the first time we'd come in contact with authentic people who were trying to know Jesus. Yes, You yeah, know, like yeah. this was a group of people who didn't try to hide the messes. Yeah. Of, I mean, there were even what, atheists and mm -hmm. you know agnostics who went to the church and I was like, well, this is. But, it, but they were real people yeah, but they and were they real. were yeah. honest and they were kind and they were loving and they were genuine. And, um, and I think it kind of made us go, wait, like were all these other people in our past? authentic and sure. genuine and on, sure. like real about we didn't I would say that I didn't really know the struggles of a lot of people in the churches that I went to it was always know? this polished like clean yeah. like it had already been manicured before it got to you and you're like I can't relate with that yeah. like it's just so there was a very big disconnect at least for me where it's like I can't relate to these people like yeah I mean I got all this crap going on and like they seem to be perfect so yeah yeah it's part of what was that like kind of that shame that kind of every yeah, time you did sure. something yeah, wrong yeah. you had the shame so you yeah. had to pretend you didn't do that thing and then you just yeah put your smile on and you're pretty dressed and, yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. oftentimes you look at church and it's like you forget that the people that are showing up there are, are messy yeah. because it's supposed to bring life and give hope and, and bring joy and experience grace and you know like when you show up into those environments you forget sometimes that you have, you receive it. <laughs> like we're not bringing it. You know the churn in that and the output of that is Jesus saying, "Okay, like I'm going to refine this." And so I think it's cool that really marriage kind of led to that. What is truth? Oftentimes in both the scenarios, really all the scenarios that you guys have gone through, a lot of people will go, "Ah, this isn't it," and they lean out. Yeah. And I think that's one of the first things that people can really hear is. Faith isn't easy. You gotta ask questions, yeah. right? No matter what your church experience has grown up, like yeah. seek truth, yeah. you know, find people who will walk alongside you with it yeah. rather than tell you, you don't know this already, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. or you don't think what I think already, even yeah. though, yeah. you know, trying to figure out why they think what they think, yeah. what you guys have gone through, like immediately that could have been a breaking point. Mm -hmm. And especially with you guys saying it was kind of there, but it wasn't there. So I think it's really cool that you leaned in um, especially as your dad passed, because it'd been way easier to go. God did this thing. I don't want this anymore. But it brought you to the point of saying, "Why do things like this happen?" Which I think led to really like where you guys are now, mm -hmm. and we'll fill in the gap in a second. Without those moments in the beginning, I don't think you have what you have at the end, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so after your dad passes, you guys move up to Maryland. When did you start having kids? Oh. It was about two or three years in. Yeah. Uh, we used to have arguments about it. Just the idea of giving up my space to kids like, <laughs> set me off. Sure. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> set me off. Sure. Yeah. I was ready for that, but yeah. We bought a house, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, we bought this house. We both have jobs. What's next? What's the natural next step? And um, I wanted to be a young mom. I, I didn't want to wait too long, you know, and so it was kind of one of those things where, like, let's start having babies, you know? And um, of course, me being me, I'm like planning it, I'm a teacher, 
you know, so I'm like, I have to have a baby in June, you know, <laughs> and I plan it all out and we get pregnant and it's wonderful. It's easy, you know, simple. I'm so excited. And then we ended up losing our first baby. I think that was probably the second big thing. You know, my dad had passed and within a year we lost our first kid too. So it was like, man, I guess I can't try to plan anything, you know? <laughs> but then, you know, God is really good. We actually, the reason our first son's name is Noah is because when we left the hospital um, after realizing that our first baby wasn't gonna make it, there was a rainbow outside. Wow. And so um, we just kind of decided right then and there that if God did bless us with more kids, that yeah. if it was a boy, um, or I guess now even a girl, it could have been, but yeah, <laughs> the yeah, name would have been yeah. Noah. Yeah. And so his name actually means to us promised. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, so we had Noah and um, we actually had fertility issues after that, you know, even though uh, the first baby and Noah came pretty, I guess relatively easily, if you want to say, um, we actually had fertility issues for a couple of years after that because I wanted them um, boom, boom, boom. Sure. You know, we want, I originally had wanted like four kids and all of this stuff. And um, my sister and I are almost four years apart, so I wanted, and we're not very close because I think our age is so different. Sure. So I was like, I want lots of kids really close together. So, um, but yeah, then then fertility stuff happened and uh, Charlie took a little while to get, but she came around and I don't know if you need all these details, it's but okay. I um, had still had medicine that I used to get her. And I was like, well, I'll just see if I take this, if we can get another one. And she was six months old and there was Ethan, you know? So okay. it was kind of like, a perfect storm of events sure. and all of a sudden we had three kids under four and life got a little crazy and yeah. complicated and overwhelming it's funny when you kind of get <laughs> into that like sort of uh i call it survival mode but like mm -hmm. essentially like any parent with young kids it feels like you're treading water sure and, yeah. um but was it is it jim gaffigan who's like uh, yeah. what's it like to have another kid, kid just like, be drowning and here's yourself another. drowning and somebody can't do a child yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. it's like okay yeah, that's how it was when ethan came along yeah. for sure i felt like we were already drowning yeah. but we were like yeah just give us another one it's fine i don't know what i was well and that's <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's also pretty funny because when you get into like seasons of like just being in a pressure cooker like all your faults like come to the surface like it's like it, literally everything that was just a gap in who I was or my maturity level as a guy like just came to the surface yeah. and it's like whoa you know so mm -hmm. yeah I, I'd, I'd say I kind of like pulled him along into the let's have kids I don't yes, I wouldn't yeah. say that he was like Sure. Well, nobody's ever ready. No, I was. But... I was less than prepared. <laughs> yeah. I, I could barely take care of myself. You know, not to mention children. So yeah. 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 I think I had this like plan in my mind of like, yeah. you get married, you buy a house, you have children. You know, you do these things sure. in this order. And so we yeah. were kind of, at least I was checking off all these boxes and pulling Josh along. Like, come on, like check these boxes off with me. Let's go. And yeah. that's kind of where we were. I think it was just let's build this picture of this life that I've been taught is yeah. the right life to live, you know, and this is how you do it and this is what it should look like. And that's kind of what we were doing. Well, and you guys like going into that, even like, you know, suffering the loss of a child mm -hmm. um, and then infertility are two big things. Yeah. So in a few years, it was loss, it was moving, mm -hmm. you know, marriage moving, loss of a father, you know, loss of a child, infertility, you know, and sometimes, I mean, we see this in life where these like major things happen and they create wounds and they create pain, they create doubts, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
but life continues, yeah. you know? And we often don't take the time to like work through those things and process those things. And like Josh said, it's a pressure cooker at some point it all, it all just comes out. The, the emotions that come with that, the shame that comes with that, um, the insecurity that comes with that, um, really oftentimes not healthy responses, right? Like, um, you know, infertility is one where people often carry a ton of shame and it's like, hey, like, this, is, this isn't shameful. Like, it, I know, like, wanting to have kids is great, but it's like, if you get to, you know, you are not less of a person yeah, yeah. if you can't or choose not to. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, if we're not in healthy community and working through that stuff, it just kind of adds like wounds on top of wounds. Yeah. And, um, you know, at some point there's, there's kind of a breaking point. And so I know your story and I know, um, you know, a lot of the previous stuff, but I also know the last few years and you kind of had multiple kind of breaking points, pressure points. Um, so if you guys don't mind, you know, can you guys share a little bit about what was the impact of all this stuff on marriage? Um, because as you pursue what feels right and as you pursue what feels good, or even sometimes like we'll say it's what God would want, like this like beautiful, perfect thing. It wasn't beautiful, perfect. Um, it was messy. And so um, share a little bit about Okay, what, what happened with your marriage, like, through all this? All right, well. Um, I know, we're going in. I'd say leading up to essentially just the, probably the largest storm of our life, the, the, you know, just several things happening within, I guess, about a week of each other, week, week and a half. I had kind of got, like, I had been, I guess some of the earlier pain in life had put me to a point where it's like my goal in life was to be comfortable, to be safe, to avoid pain at all costs, and it kind of lulled me into this sleep state. I was on autopilot, really, in life, marriage, everything, and um, on my phone all the time, just checked out in general. I think for me, I was so busy building this life or leading us into this picture-perfect thing that I wasn't really focused on our needs as a married couple, you know? And um, I, we, I don't think either one of us were really asking those questions of why do I feel empty or why do I feel alone or why are you behaving this way? You know, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, pick your big girl panties on and keep going, you know? Eventually it'll all be okay. This is just a season, we're gonna be fine. We'll get through the season just like everybody else gets through their season. And at some point we'll start the hard work, you know, of, of digging deeper. During one of these times where I was just completely in my own world and not even cognizant of what was going on, uh, we were at a pool. We were on vacation at Ocean City, and um, we were waiting for family to join us. This was like the one day that we had on our own at the, at the uh, camping. We love camping, so we were at this resort camping, and um, we went to this pool, and there wasn't lifeguards um, there. And I don't even know what I was on my phone for or what it was about. Um, Charlie was learning how to swim at the time so we'd taken her floaties off and jenny was really like solely focused on her and uh the other two they were putting on like you know no was getting sunscreen on and um uh the first thing i remember is a 14 year old girl in the pool saying 
hey, there's a baby at the bottom of the pool, or there's a kid. And right then, uh, I knew it was fine. So I jumped in, I got Ethan out of the bottom of the pool, and um, I gave him CPR. Um, I had gotten certified through work uh, a little bit earlier that year, which was pretty serendipitous. And so yeah, I started chest compressions. There was an older lady there that was helping me keep count. My back was actually to the deep end because Charlie was swimming back and forth from the entrance of the pool on the shallow side. And, and there was just this mom was looking at my direction and I looked at her and I saw her face of horror, you know? And there's just that mom moment that you know, like, this is about me. You know, this is about my family. And so I turned around and I saw what looked like Ethan completely dead, being lifted out of the pool. He's blue and his eyes are back and he's... And I always thought that I'd be that person that would immediately go to God. But I think at this point in my life, I had already begged God for two other lives. So I didn't even think to ask God for this one. I just started screaming help. Uh, after the second round of, of chest compressions, he, his eyes started to kind of roll back and he, uh, uh, he started to cough and to sort of, you know, throw up and get the, the water out of his lungs. And, um, and probably one of the most like ridiculously um, traumatic things in my life up until that point and uh, so there were some paramedics that ha happened to be at the campground anyway and so they like jumped the, you know the six-foot fence and came in and right when they came in is when Ethan started uh, getting the water out and screaming himself and um, they handed him to me and they told me it was screaming's good you yeah. know screaming's good and so we didn't really know what the effects of that were. You don't know the effects of drowning until hours and hours later. And so it was in that moment um, when I finally was like, we've got to tell our community about this. We have to reach out to the people that we know will pray. And the first people that came to mind were, you know, at that time I was on staff at Collective, so I reached out to you and Tabby and was just like, please pray for my kid. and. Um, and I knew that just having you guys in my corner was a lot stronger than being alone. And that was probably the first time that I really felt like I lean, I had a community to lean on and that I, I did, you know, lean on people to help save my kid, you know, to help my kid come back a hundred percent. And thankfully he did, you know, um, it was a couple of days process. There was a flight over the, yeah. <laughs> over the bay, yeah. you know, and all of that, but he, was up and walking the next morning and yeah. made a complete recovery. But I would say that that was the beginning of our yeah. healing process of us being like, whoa, you know, like yeah. we had to wake up ourselves. That too. was, that was, yeah, the first like blaring yeah. warning sign that there's something way off and needs to get figured out yeah. like ASAP, like, like the whole like um, lives are at stake. It wasn't a figure of speech. Yeah. Like, I don't, like my kid almost died because I was so effing checked out. Yep. You know, for you guys, like remembering that moment and just obviously this is like every parent's nightmare yeah. is losing a child. But there is the reality that you guys came to afterward where you're like, 
something's wrong. Like this isn't healthy and our kids are the ones that are now feeling the effect of it, right? Because a lot of times when we're when we have these things in our life and this pain in our life, this sin in our life, yeah. it impacts us and it might impact our spouse. Yeah. But like you said, when you have kids, it impacts our spouse, but like you're so busy anyways, yeah. you're like, it is what it is, yeah. you know, because you're seeing the impact, but you don't see it because you've got kids and jobs and all that stuff. Coming out of this experience, which obviously was devastating, not one you would ever ask for, right? This isn't one of those, and you know this, and we've talked about it. God did not do this so that what comes next gets better. That's not the way this works. God's not going to punish our children for for us. Now they feel the impact of us, you know, so Ethan's fine. You know, everybody knows Ethan, like, (laughs) great kid. You wouldn't even know. Yeah. I don't even think he remembers. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. We had yeah, we had a few conversations with them, especially with kids. Like, if you experience something hard, you get you get back on the horse. You know that this could you know, and we didn't want him carrying major trauma from this, so we got right back in the pool the next day, and that was extremely hard. For the first year, he did remember, but the big thing was tell the full story. Don't get stuck in the moment of fear and in the moment of trauma, always say, yes, that happened. Yes, but then what? I mean, we're doing our own processing too, but it's like your children need to process that as well. And having two older kids as well, you know, who saw this happen, yeah. I don't know if we've ever shown Ethan the photos, mostly because I do think, thankfully, we had enough support in our life of that first year that we were able to help him really move through the trauma that he was in and the kids too we had a lot of support around them the photos remind us how real of an event it was and how close we really were to losing him yeah like seconds matter type thing. every second yeah every second matters the shame of that experience you know every mom wants to protect her kids from all things and feels the judgment that comes when you fail or it feels like you failed but at the same time, I feel I felt, and I share his story because I know now, especially after a few years past, the amount of kids who have, their parents are more vigilant, you know, because if it can happen to us, yeah. you know, or somebody that they know or a kid that they can see, yeah. if it can happen to that kid, then it could happen to theirs, yeah. you know? It's not just on the news. After this had happened, I mean, there were, it would come in waves, and there were times where I couldn't really close my eyes because mm-hmm. I would re-see yeah. everything. Um, and then I, I think the prevailing thought of how not in control I was in that sure. situation, like as a man, I mean, to feel that out of control yeah. of a situation, or to you know, we're taught that it's like you know, to be a man, it's like you're in control, you you you've got this and stuff like that. And to know that, you know, uh, a little girl was the deciding factor of my son's life. It's like sort of one of those wake up calls for me where it's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. And there's a lot of processing with that. Yeah. You know, because it's processing as a a father, as a spouse, as a married couple, you know, brings up trauma from your own childhood. You know, again, we, we talked about this earlier, like losing a child and then having to come face to face with a scenario like that again, like it brings out all the pain Um, and you know I think most people wouldn't want to go through any of that right but they would hope that that would be the last big thing Mm -hmm. but for you guys it wasn't 
in fact, just a little bit later, there was more big stuff. So we talk about the warning signs of something not being right, like it just happened to like, these things were all kind of coming to the surface all at once. And one of those things was that I was uh, seeking fulfillment outside of our marriage from other women. Um, and, you know, it was different work rewards trips. I think in my mind, it sort of, I rationalized uh, the thought of that, you know, it's it was sort of a hall pass, you know, these people don't live near me, like I can indulge for this one weekend out of the year, you know, and, and so, yeah, I started doing some just pretty dumb stuff um, with other women, um, not only on those work trips, but I would play games online and there was like sort of, uh, you know, uh, a community aspect to it where you're talking to other people and so there were some uh, relationships that way um, and it was all essentially me trying to get this feel this 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 cavernous uh, gap in myself met through ways that weren't ultimately gonna fill it um, but that came to a head because you know I'll let you tell that part, but. <laughs> so we came home from this trip and we're still processing everything that just happened and um, we were hanging out with some friends in our neighborhood um, pretty late one night, and I just looked over and saw that Josh was on his phone, and it clicked in my mind, like, what could he possibly, because I could tell that he was texting. It wasn't just yeah. him playing a game like he would always or often do, and um, and it was typical for him to be on the phone, but not texting, you know, or, or writing messages to people. So. I kind of snuck a glance at the phone and could see that it was a woman that he was talking to and I, I saw something along the lines of her saying that I'm boring or something like that, I forget what it was, but I think at that moment I just, I just thought to myself, really, like, this picture of this world, this, this picture of life that I thought I was creating, I think I already was feeling like it was completely shattered. But this was the sledgehammer that just completely destroyed what I thought my life was at that point in time. Um, and this was at the same anniversary of, of my dad's death. Like it's the same week. It's I actually also just lost a job. So it was just like everything was coming full circle for me. Um, and I just ended up going home. I, I left that situation. He knew that I had seen what I'd seen. We talked a little bit about it that night, and the next day I just said, I'm leaving. You know, I actually uh, packed a bag and left him with the kids. I said, you know, you can figure this out. I need to go figure out what's next. I just was like, you're gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple of days to think about this and we'll meet, and I just need to know everything at that point. You're gonna have yeah. to come clean on everything. And yeah. because we were in part of this community, I leaned on another woman who, had gone through something just like this just months before. I think she was the first person I called and I just said, what do I do here? You know, and she had also lost a child and just having that connection and seeing where her marriage was at that point, what the work that they were putting through, all of that made me have hope that even though this was the absolute bottom of the bottom for me and for us, yeah. that we, it wasn't over. Like there was, we could fight. We could do something about this. Um, and one thing I'd known about Josh, even going back from the very beginning of our dating story of where he got that job, you know, when I was like, we need this job. I knew that he had fight in him. I knew that he 
ultimately wanted the same things I wanted were missing each other somewhere along the way and needed to needed to figure out where both of us were going wrong yeah kind of thing so kind of in this rock bottom moment a lot of people at this point are like they're done there is no god it's not good you know why would he let these things happen to me you know but you guys in that moment leaned in to your faith community leaned into trusting people leaned into vulnerability but what was your relationship with Jesus like in that moment? Or how did you at least feel about faith and, and God? And I imagine it's very different for both <laughs> of you. You saying exactly what you said, like if we wouldn't have seen real stories of genuine people who were real about their brokenness and their mess, I don't know if you would have even felt like you could have reached out and contacted them about that. And it's the same for me. I mean, like the church I grew up in, like, you don't talk about that, you know? It's, uh, people will judge you, so you keep it hidden, and then that hurt and that pain, it, it can't go anywhere, you know? Like, and it's, uh, so yeah, so th there was definitely a heavy leaning on community and other people and support, and, um, you know, knowing that, you know, even though this was essentially gearing up to be like the storm of our life, that God was still in that, and uh, that He was a part of that, and that there was grace for, you know, obviously as a married guy, you know, sort of kind of being exposed, I guess, as, you know, almost even like the feelings of like that you're you're a little bit of a fraud, or sure. that you're you've been so focused on the appearance of a great life that like you know there is actual the unhealth of your life is cropping up and essentially making itself known and it is loud on volume 10. So yeah, so I, I think for me, uh, the faith part of that was that, uh, you know, that God was there in that and that leaning on that grace of like knowing it's like, yeah, you screwed up, you know, you screwed up really bad and um, that there was forgiveness there and that I could as a man either run from the acceptance and the responsibility aspect of that and continue to live a passive running from pain <laughs> aspect, which had gotten me nowhere. If anything, it had threatened everything that I held dear in my life. And so I think there was very much like a snapping awake, literally jolted me out of, uh, out of a coma. Yeah, I remember we were together that weekend and it was just like a group of guys that were getting together, we were reading the Bible, reading books. And I remember when you shared it, and from my perspective, like seeing what was going on in, in your life, but also seeing what was going on in the guys around you, and how it wasn't like acceptance. It wasn't like, oh yeah, boys are boys. It's none of that garbage. But it was, hey, we've seen this fight before with men in this room. God can do it if you want it. And we didn't we didn't leave the office that day without you saying no I want this yeah. and I know God can heal yeah. and restore this yeah. what do I got to do yeah. yep. and it was one of those things I think for even those of us who like saw that were like like this is what this is about yeah right like if if Jesus is a redeemer and Jesus is a restorer then let's see him do it yeah. you know obviously you saying I want that what do I need to do yeah. to experience that yeah. you know from that moment it was like okay. Like, let's see what happens next. Yeah. For you, you know, being on the other side of that, though, 
what was faith like? What did it feel like with Jesus? You know, you know, with the things that that you know to be true, but like when you hit that, you said it's that rock bottom. Yeah. You're like, that's a, it's a lonely place. Yeah, I mean, I think at that time I was so numb. <laughs> I had so so many emotions in so many areas that I almost felt like I couldn't feel them all. So I had to take almost an hour by hour approach of of trying to figure out where my head was at. Um, but you know, funny enough, so I looked for an Airbnb and. I, I found an Airbnb with a woman who I didn't know it at the time, but she loved Jesus, you know, and I ended up and I actually knew her because, you know, when you grow up in Maryland, I guess, you know, everybody by some (laughs) form. Um, And so it ended up being just this really beautiful, like three or four days for me where she would just like bring me tea and we would sit on the front porch and talk and, and she just kept reminding me just kept reminding me that God loved me, that all of this had nothing to do with me having whack, you know, because I felt like I was trying so hard to do the right things all the time to to create that life that everybody says you're supposed to create and be the good girl and be the good wife and and just do everything right. And here I was, you know, here I was just so broken and so ashamed of um, my lack as a wife is what it felt like and my lack as a mom from almost losing my kid and all this lack so I think I just had to come to that moment of like I could I have two choices I can either be angry and resentful and bitter and just walk away from everything start over (laughs) somehow you know figure out what that means and what it would look like or I can lean into what was I knew would be really, really hard, a really hard place of grace for myself, for him, being able to forgive. I think at the time I, I knew that even though I was really angry with Josh, I knew it wasn't just about him. I knew that it was about me too. It was also about the areas in which I, it wasn't lacking, like I was kind of feeling in that moment, but I needed more of Jesus. I needed more understanding of how to slow down and stop and take a minute and say, what am I doing all this for if it's not to actually have a relationship with this man and actually parent my kids and really like engage in my life, you know, not just run a rat race, um, but being, be present in all things. And so that also meant being present in my faith, you know, and really actively seeking that relationship out. So, that's kind of, I think at the end of that week, you know, we sat and we had coffee and we decided that that's, that was the choice we were both going to make, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. You guys decided to fight. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. for your marriage and not out of some sort of duty, not out of the shame of, hey, divorces mm-hmm. look down upon, you know, and it's a very messy and judged, judged thing in the church, right? You guys decided we're going to fight because this is what's best for you, what's best for your kids, but also because you guys knew like, hey, God can get us through this if we lean in, like if we actually pursue him in our marriage, like there are good things that can come from this. And so 
you know, for the past few years, you guys have been fighting. And what's crazy is if people see you now, like they would never, the <laughs> terminology that you guys have used of like being asleep or, yeah. you know, the rat race, they wouldn't see that in you guys. That isn't magic though. That isn't you guys having coffee and going, we are out of these places, yeah. right? It's you guys saying, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna lean in to what God has for us, what, what we need yeah. to be healthy. And, and that's what you guys have been doing. So what has it been like coming out of that, right? Because obviously, you know, it, there's anniversaries every year and the further you get away from that, the further that feels mm. kind of unreal yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So what have the last few years been like? Um, and specifically, what has it been like in your faith, your relationship with Jesus, as you guys have fought for, mm -hmm. you know, restoration in your marriage and the healing of your family? Yeah. For me, this has probably been one of the most exciting times of my life. Um, seems odd coming out of something like that. I, I, I think it, it was literally the the shock of it. Like it it, it was kind of a fight or flight thing for sure. me. Like it was like either I was gonna run for the hills or I was gonna like fight and, and I'm talking like I had a like adrenaline reaction for like months after this mm -hmm. of just trying to save this yeah. you know you know the thing with Ethan just the the uh, my marriage like the most important things in my life were threatened and if I didn't do anything I would lose everything yep. that meant anything to me and so uh, the next few months for me was probably today the most biggest growth point in my life it, it, you know I kind of always think about the stuff of like that you know, you're you're building muscles, and muscles need resistance uh, to uh, to build. And so, I think like the pain of that situation was a catalyst for me, because I was going to experience pain either way. Yep. It was either going to be a dull pain of being passive and life passing me by, um, or me losing everything because I was letting it go, or I was going to fight for it. And so I chose to fight. And so the next several months, I probably read, uh, I, I lost count of the amount of books I read, the amount that I was uh, reading the Bible and reflecting on what my life had come to. I was essentially like for over a decade, my life had been, like the purpose of my life was to seek comfort and avoid pain. Sure. And, um, and a lot of the avoidance of pain was more numbing. I. I numbed myself and obviously there's several vices that yeah. can numb you it wasn't alcohol for me it was more you know being on my phone and stuff but uh, I was numbing myself from the pain of life um, so I so I was reading books there were a few notable books that I read that really kind of helped me uh, one as you know um, uh, Kill the Spider by Carlos Whitaker yeah. uh, which I won't go into detail but essentially the premise is that you a lot of people uh, see the symptoms in their life and they address the symptoms, but they never actually get to the core root of the issue. So addressing some of these lies in my life that I needed to replace with truth yep. and really figure those out. Um, another book that was pretty significant for me was The Sacred Marriage by, um, by Gary Thomas. And uh, the, the primary aspect of that is that I was so fixated on my own needs and the relationship uh, mainly because I was unhealthy, uh, ultimately. Uh, so I needed to do a lot of work with therapy, a lot of work with 
figuring out why am I unhealthy and how is that creating such a significant burden on Jenny and the marriage as a whole, it was straining the relationship because of me. And I think I was asking the wrong questions, right? Like I was, you know, whenever there was something that I did that was wrong, the shame, the deep, deep bed of shame that I operated from, from my childhood, made it where I had to get that off of me immediately. Like, you know, well, that was your fault, Jenny. You know, that's not, that's not my fault. I had to start owning my crap. I would always like, try to tell her, hey, you should read this book, or you should do mm-hmm. this, or you should do that. It's like, no, this is about you, Josh. Like, wh- what do you need to uh, figure out here? That helped me to get to the point where it's like, I could become a more healthy individual so that I, not only can I carry my own pain, I can start to carry other people's pain. And that was another thing of like, in a relationship, I had trouble with empathy and connecting with Jenny, I would want to fix it. Whatever she sure. said was, you know, this or that, yeah. I just wanted to fix it. And really it was to get that paint, that that stuff off me. Like I didn't want to feel that discomfort of that pain. And I needed to kind of get to a point where I was like, I not only can I shoulder this pain because I've built the muscle mass to be able to do this in my own life, but now I can start to carry other people's pain and show up well for the people in my life yeah. uh, through just getting out of a passive state be and actively like working yeah. on this stuff and figuring some stuff out. You know, obviously I, I never would have wished those things to happen to us, but man, was it a wake up call. Sure. And I, uh, to hell if I was gonna let that opportunity for growth go by. Yeah. So. Yeah, what about you, Jenny? I think for me it was a lot of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of therapy. Um, I had to learn a lot of trust, trust in Josh, trust in God trust in myself, you know, that um, if I stopped and took some time and really allowed for Josh to be in control of our marriage, and not control of our marriage, but lead our marriage Mm -hmm. is really, if I allowed him to lead, that we would be okay. You know, if I gave him that um, Mm -hmm. ability in our marriage, that it would be stronger. I didn't need to lead everything. I didn't need to be the person that was checking all the boxes and making sure we were accomplishing everything all oh, the time. Which is a tall order when like the, I'm fumbling it so bad. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, but I mean, it took a while yeah. to like yeah. learn and trust that he could and he wanted to. And so I would say the first like six months, it was mostly, I mean, he was, like he said, adrenaline rushing. I mean, it was a completely different marriage, mm-hmm. completely different husband. Everything was so different, you know, yeah. but the adrenaline does wear off and it did. And so in that time, it was more of this rebuilding of, of who we are, the couple that we're going to be, of me learning to um, not have to be husband and wife, mom and dad, but I can just be mom, I can just be wife, I can well, just be al- Jenny. <laughs> we'd always joke about the fact that I was like the fourth child sure. in marriage, yeah. which I yeah. think a lot of probably women can identify with because they're taking care of the man and the relationship, and it shouldn't be like that. Right. And honestly, as a kid, like my mom did everything for me, so like... I grew up weak, like I never learned how to do anything for myself. So I was dropping the ball repeatedly. I didn't want to do the dishes. I didn't want to help her in the house. I didn't want to help with the kids. Like, no, I don't want any of that. that. Well, I'm still working (laughs) on that. But but no, but it it just, that put a lot of weight on her because she was having to do everything. And uh, and I wanted no part of it because it was super uncomfortable for me. And I wasn't good at it. I didn't know how to do any of it. I didn't know how to take care of kids or take care of a home or anything like that. Well, and that's like vulnerabilities, right? Like even in marriage, there's all these vulnerabilities that exist that if we're unwilling to talk about, it just creates more pain and more vulnerabilities in the future. Yeah. You know, yeah. like 
we often don't want to fail in anything. So we either don't approach it or we avoid it yeah. and we try to push things aside. Yeah. And you guys had to face that stuff. Well, it's like closing yeah. your eyes and feeling like the world disappeared. Right. Like the yeah. world keeps on going, whether your eyes are closed or not. Like, yeah. so it doesn't go away. Yeah. <laughs> Still there. Yeah. I just had to, I went through a very, I think my process, his was like a fight or flight adrenaline, sure. like rush, and I just kind of became a lot more still, a lot more reflective, a lot more um, just asking myself a lot of hard questions about what I wanted and why did I want it and was it really necessary? And funny enough, like COVID for us, everybody kept saying how 2020 was this terrible year. And I think it was, just very timely for us um, because 2019 was such a terrible year. Uh, and then when lockdown happened, it kind of just allowed me to have permission even more to slow down and focus on the family and focus on um, just where we were that day. Yeah. You know, I didn't always have to be worried about the future, worried about what was going to happen or what had happened and all of these things. But what's going on today? You know, we kind of like did away with the focus of like the appearance of our life. Or like even like our our what we did or anything like that. Like it was just more of like it was a focus inward of like the actual health. You sure. know, it's like you think of a tree. It's like you're not like trying to get this fruit to to grow or not. Like if you just focus on being a healthy tree, yeah, the fruit takes care of itself. So yeah, yeah. yeah and I I also went into like owning myself too. You know, I had to own. You know, I, as much as it would be very convenient to say that Josh was the reason all of these things happened and all of this, this whole pivotal point was because Josh sucked as a human being. Um, it's not true. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it, it, I think I just had a lot of hidden parts to me sure. and a lot of things that I was not being honest about. And so it, it allowed me to start to really get to know myself and work on contentment, work on letting go of a lot of areas of shame, things that I had learned growing up in the church about marriage that had created a lot of shame um, and not understanding, you know, the freedom that I can have in marriage. And so there's just, there was just a lot of undoing. Yeah. And um, this, the last few years have been a lot, there's been a lot more peace, I feel like, and a lot more contentment. Yep. So that's been good. Marriage is a blast when you're healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're unhealthy, it really sucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it can be one of the most life-giving. I mean, yeah. it was it created can. to be it that can. way and to experience yeah. love at a higher level and grace at a higher level and forgiveness at a higher level than what we get anywhere else when it is good and healthy. Yeah. Um, okay, so how would you, now that people have heard all of this, right? You know, one thing that's always true is that our, our faith journeys in our life are never static. Um, it'd be nice if they were always like climbing toward this wonderful peak that that's not the way it works. Like they are up and down and there are highs and lows and the lows are things you wouldn't dream of, wouldn't ask for, wouldn't want your enemies to experience. Um, but then the highs are are what bring peace and what bring bring this joy and this hope and you know, this better understanding. So right now, like how, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus through this all? Because it's very easy especially as you diagnose and like talk through this entire thing, go, whoa, what the heck just happened? Like you guys have been through a lot. But right now, knowing all that and recognize that, like what does your relationship with Jesus feel like today? Like how does that, how does that feel now? With my relationship with Jesus, I, I'm starting to kind of become disillusioned with this whole seeking wealth, seeking comfort, seeking the avoidance of pain and all this stuff. 
and getting into this new season of like being alive, like feeling, like not numbing myself, not like turning myself off, but just like just living and being present like in my own life like it sounds so weird to say but it's like I missed so much of the kids childhood and missed so much of my marriage and really everything that was going on around me because like it was uncomfortable like it, it, it was more safe to just turn off and numb myself than to actually experience life and experience pain really and so so being on this side of it you, you, you build a little bit of a tough skin and you start to like be able to handle levels of pain um, and just being able to be fully present. My one thing now is how can I be a Jesus follower? Yeah. How can I fully give myself over to a guy who has earned the right and the trust? It's funny sort of being a Christian in name for most of my life. I'm 40 years old and I'm just now figuring out what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, I don't know where that's going to take me. That's freaking exciting. Yeah. When I was younger and I started my faith journey, you know, I felt like my relationship with God, cause the whole childlike faith thing, mm -hmm. you know, was very real. It was almost tangible. And there was so much faith there that I just, I like felt like God, I truly felt back then, I can still remember feeling like he's my best friend, you know, like all the Bible songs, all of that. It just felt like he was another person in the room, you know, like yeah. it was real. And then as, I think, um, honestly, people got a hold of me, you know, and started putting their expectations and their shame and the doubts and all of that. That relationship really I was got distanced, so distant. And so all of this stuff that's gone over on over the last few years has really forced me to lean into who is he and, and what is that relationship going to look like? And in order to, I think, through therapy, um, the thing that I'm really learning is I have to release myself from this world's expectations, yep. the shame, other people's, what they want from me or for me or for mm -hmm. me to do and really learn what I want and who God created me to be. And so I'm definitely not there. I, I'm still working on that relationship. It's very much a work in progress, but I feel as though as I'm learning to release a lot of this baggage of really my entire life all the different things from childhood through the last few years even um i am beginning to create that real tangible again relationship with him that i understand who he is and why he wants me to be someone that loves him yeah. you know mm -hmm. so that's kind of where i'm at right now it's very much still working yeah, yeah. <laughs> still still leaning in yeah. still a lot of ways to go but I'm excited about it, and I, I really do feel as though he's created the good out of the mess, yep. and that's all I can really ask right now, is that there has been a lot of good that mm. has come from a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. If there was one piece of advice, which I know is tough, um, but if there's one thing you wanted to share with people who are kind of in the phase of life that you guys were in a few years ago, whether that be with their marriage or even with themselves or with their kids, like whatever it may be, like what would you want them to hear? Process pain um, in a good and healthy way. Uh, pain is a certainty. It's gonna happen in life. It's a part of it. Um, I think a lot of people tend to blame God when pain hits their life. Um, I, I've heard it said, which really kind of characterizes it pretty well, is that, um, Pain is going to build uh, calluses or 
tough skin, but some people allow it to build calluses of resentment around their heart, which really kind of block out any good uh, that could come through pain, or you allow pain to build you and grow you and mature you, almost like kind of developing a thick skin, kind of like calluses, but uh, instead of a, a method of blocking things out, it's a method of becoming stronger and healthier. And so even though pain doesn't feel like a great thing, nobody wants to go through it. When that stuff happens in your life, instead of blaming God, maybe thank him for it because that stuff can grow you significantly if you let it and make for a healthier life, a healthier marriage, a more present father, um, a more present husband. Like if that pain wouldn't have come in my life, I don't know where we'd be or where I'd be. Um, So I'm very thankful for it. I was going to just say like that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, that they can lean on people that they don't have to feel the shame. Yeah. uh, That they don't have to hide uh, what they're going through because they're afraid people are going to judge them. That there are people, especially in this community, that have been there, are there, will be there one day Mm -hmm. and want to be there now with them. And if it weren't for people being willing to walk alongside of us in our mess Mm -hmm. and give us grace and show us love and not shame us, I don't know if we'd be as strong as we are today. So um there is no shame here yeah yeah that's what i would probably say yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. all right the last question i ask everybody (laughs) is what is one bible verse that you were holding on to um that you would just love to share with everybody um one is james one two through four consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yeah. Which doesn't that put it just mm-hmm. so well for what I've learned in my life yeah. is that it did just that yeah. and is doing that every day of my yeah. life. So the second one, it's in Matthew, which is then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, we'll find it. And that last part is my absolute favorite part because it's it's that counterintuitive thing that I figured out that like I was trying to save and secure and protect all these things and I almost lost everything. Um, So I now am in a mode where it's like, crucified with Christ, love it. Let's go. Let's, Let's go. Yeah. So my verse is Romans 8, 37, 38. Uh, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, Being vulnerable is hard. Right, It opens us up, creates wounds or capability of wounds, but it also creates space for other people to understand, hey, like, I'm not alone in this. Um, I appreciate you guys. It's just incredible to see what God's done and doing in your lives. And, uh, and, and really the true testament for you guys too is your, your kids. It's wonderful. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>